What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does a day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hydes. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. You guys, my book is out. I mean, it is out in the world. I cannot believe it. I have been writing it for several years and it's just mind-blowing. Birth Story, Pregnancy Guidebook and Journal is a -a one-of-a-kind discovery into your pregnancy that provides you education through storytelling. So what's it really about? In the 16 years that I have served women with every personality type, I noticed there was a huge disconnect between what my clients were craving for childbirth education in a book and the books that were actually available on the market. There seemed to be unlimited resources if you are looking for an unmedicated birth or a natural birth or a home birth. But there just weren't a lot of resources for my clients who were part of the 92% of women birthing in a hospital and very much open to medical interventions like an epidural, nitrous oxide, and opioid medications. So I wrote that book to fill the gap for you. Week by week throughout your pregnancy, you will engage with material meant to educate and empower you as you plan for your own birth story, hospital, medicated, unmedicated, or something in between. You are welcomed each week with a postcard from the womb, which is an adorable note from your baby about their miraculous development, as well as the amazing changes occurring within you. Then you are invited to use an uplifting birth affirmation and to respond to an introspective journaling prompt to document your feelings, curiosities, and wonders every single week. With room to memorialize your own birth story, this book will become a memory keeper and a legacy gift for your baby. You are encouraged to read one of my favorite birth stories each week filled with childbirth education, tidbits, and explanations of important medical terms and procedures. These are real-life accounts shared with permission from the births that I've attended during my career as a doula, and I gave you a great mix. In the 42-week guide to your pregnancy and 42 birth stories, seven of them end in cesarean section. About half are unmedicated and the other half are medicated deliveries. This is a judgment-free book. So take what you need from each element and leave the rest. Okay, are you ready to buy? I would love for you to go to birthstory.com and buy it directly from me. But I totally get it if you're an Amazon girl. You can head to amazon.com and just type in birthstory pregnancy and the book should pop up. I'll deliver it straight to your doorstep. And I would venture to say that you might be an audiobook kind of woman because you're listening to a podcast. So if you would prefer to listen to this book, then I have recorded it and it is available for download at audible.com or on your Audible app. Thank you for being part of the birth story community. I'm so excited for you to have this book in your hand once you've purchased it and it has arrived. I hope that you will give me your thoughts and feedback and don't forget to take a selfie with your book and post it on Instagram and tag at Birth Story Podcast. Thank you for listening to episode 44, which is a replay of episode 13. And I'm replaying it because, y'all, I'm so white and I am actively unlearning, having conversations, relearning about real 
history about real institutional racism and the same conversation that we're having across America right now in the state of the world with all the protests. And this time the black man's name was George Floyd. It has been thousands of names that are dying at the hands of the people that we should trust. This episode is about Black women that are dying at the hands of healthcare providers in childbirth, where 60% of the deaths have been deemed preventable. And because they are Black, and only because they are Black, they are three to four times more likely to die in childbirth than white women. And we cannot be quiet any longer. And so this episode is being replayed and it will be continued to be replayed as I use my platform to share my voice, to elevate the voices of those that are not being heard because it is not okay that black women are dying in childbirth. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does a day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hydes. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. Thank you for listening to the Birth Story Podcast. If you are tuning in for the first time, I want to encourage you to start at the beginning. I want you to go on a journey with me and allow me to be your virtual doula and teach you all the things along the way. So I'm just going to give you a couple highlights of some of the earlier podcast episodes if you are just now tuning in. So very first episode, episode one, you can learn all about me, who I am, why I became a doula, why it is is I do what I do, and also my very own birth story with my second child, Jagger. Then I've interviewed some really cool CEOs. So episode three, Tori Jones is the CEO of Eshell Triangle, and she was also featured on Rachel Hollis's The Rise podcast. Episode seven was Rachel Coley, the CEO of Can Do Kiddo. She was just on Good Morning America. She's an incredible occupational therapist that teaches you how to play with your baby, and her birth stories are incredible. Episode 10 was one of my best friends, Amy, who had a V-back in the car. We have done episodes on micro preemies, episode 18. 21 on international adoption out of Uganda, 24 and 25. Oh, those episodes like get a box of tissues. They're on surrogacy and cancer. We've addressed hypnobirthing, fertility, really easy, joyful, uh, medicated births, really hard, long labors, medicated, unmedicated, everything in between. So I hope you'll start at the beginning. Let the Birth Story Podcast take you on a journey all the way through and enjoy this episode. And then remember to rewind all the way back to episode one. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, it's Heidi. Welcome to the Birth Story Podcast, episode 13. I'm so glad that you're listening because this week is Black Maternal Health Awareness Week. And I've traveled to Asheville, North Carolina to record with Maggie and Cindy from Mayhek Mountain Area Health Education Center and Mothering Asheville and Sisters Caring for Sisters. You will hear from these two incredibly inspiring women who are leaders in this community fighting innovatively 
to change the disparity of maternal and infant mortality rates between black and white women. I'm recording today to learn, to open my eyes, to reach out across this canyon and to share that the change must occur. If you are a black woman in the United States with an advanced degree, you are three to four times more likely to die in childbirth than a white woman with less than an eighth grade education. Let that sink in. I did not say that pregnant black moms are more likely to get an epidural. Sadly, you heard me correctly. Beautiful black pregnant women bursting with life are more likely to die. We are here to talk about why and what can and must be done to erase the statistic and to save lives. So Cindy and Maggie, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. We're excited to be here. Quickly introduce yourselves and then I'm going to get into a little bit of the numbers. Um, my name is Cindy McMillan. I am a donor certified birth doula. I'm also a Lamaze trained childbirth educator, a breastfeeding peer counselor, and the director of marketing and education for Sisters Camp for Sisters, the community-based doula program. Yeah. And I'm Maggie Adams, and I'm the project manager for Mothering Asheville, um, which is a movement here to address the black-white disparity, um, particularly in infant mortality, but but also in maternal mortality, um, which Sisters Caring for Sisters is a part of. Cindy, we didn't talk about this, but I certified with Dona also um, back in 2008, so we have the same certifying body. Awesome. So before we dig in with Cindy and Maggie, I just want to go over some of the statistics that many of the listeners may not be aware of. Um, I'll be honest, when I did the research for this interview, some of this was very new um, and startling to me, and that's why we're doing this. So in the United States, um, we are one of only 13 countries in the world where the maternal death rate is worse than it was 25 years ago. Only 4% of physicians are black. 900 women are dying each year in childbirth in the United States, and yet 60% of those deaths have been deemed preventable. Overall, in the U.S., the maternal mortality rate is 28.7 deaths per 100,000. Now, that drives me crazy when I read that, because if you break it down, Black women comprise 40 per 100,000, compared to 12.4 per 100,000 deaths in white women. So it's really unfair that we lump those numbers together because it doesn't tell the true story. And we're doing this interview today to try to shed light on the true story. And then also the next worst country in the world for maternal mortality is New Zealand. And their death rate is uh, three times lower than the United States at 11.9 per 100,000. That's sad. So sad. sad. So here we are. We're going to shed light. We're going to raise awareness. We're going to pave a way for action for maybe other municipalities in the country that are looking to do what it is that you guys are doing here. And um, we have so much to learn from you guys. So yeah, yeah we're ready. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> so um, Cindy, yes. Let's start with you. Okay. Are you interested in sharing your birth story? Um. Mm-hmm. Well, I had some very unique birth stories, I would say, for myself because I was I was young. Um, I had my first daughter when I was 20 and um, I almost died while in, in pregnant with her. Um, that was when they didn't quite know 97 what hyperemesis was. And it was just it was horrible. That was my only natural birth. And then my second son, five years later, I got pregnant with twins. And um, I remember kept telling the doctors that I was, and I think I was like maybe four months. And I kept stressing to them that, you know, I think I'm having more than one baby in here. That's more than one. And they kept saying, no, we saw only one baby. We only saw one baby. So around my, my seventh and a half month, they realized I was actually having twins. And one of my twins had a heart defect. 
So they was trying to work diligently then to try to see what they can do um, in vitro, but there was nothing they can do except let me go ahead and have the twins. Um, I stayed in the hospital for about a month before they would actually do the delivery. I went under general anesthesia and my delivery. And um, when I came to, I remember my bed just being wet, soaking wet, and was so much blood everywhere. And I remember trying to talk and I was telling the nurses and, you know, screaming for my husband at the time. And um, I just kept bleeding. And the doctor came in and I'll never forget. She was like, you need to stop bleeding or you're not going to make it. So in my mind, I was like, what am I doing to make myself bleed? So I kind of just relaxed myself while they did what they had to do. I was preparing myself to die on the, in that bed. That's all I kept thinking was like, I hope my my sons are okay. I hadn't had not had a chance to see them yet or anything. And um, luckily I made it through that. But the hard part was the hospital taking my, my son that had the heart defect and um, they forced the blood transfusion on him when he didn't need it. And my other son, who's actually here in the, that's alive, um, he needed a blood transfusion, but they didn't give it to him. And no matter what I said and what I did, they took me to court to take custody of my son and gave him the blood transfusion. And within, say, three, four days, he was dead. So that was my trust of the healthcare system at that point, because I was like, they wouldn't listen to me. They wouldn't listen to me and almost, um, I almost died. And then my son had to pay the sacrifice because the doctor was not listening to me because I knew my bloodline, my blood history. I knew my mother had um, blood clotting deficiencies. I knew that there was, my sister had passed away from bleeding disorders. And instead of them doing the research and the homework, like I was asking them to, they didn't. So, so that was, that was the drive to the work I'm doing right now. You know, when I found out about uh, a profession that actually supports women and are there to be that extra ear and, and really be there to be by their side, I was so hurt because that wasn't what I had experienced, even with my husband being there or he didn't know what was going on. He didn't know how to support at that time. And he wasn't trying to respect my wishes, which were, if something happens, this is what I want you to do. He, none of that was respected on his end because he was in his feelings. But Adula is totally different. She has no judgment. She's, she's letting you experience this birth your way. Um, things may go, go wrong, and I understand that. Um, but it's always better to have somebody there that's understanding um, and empathizing with you along the way. When you were pregnant and you were preparing for your birth, first of all, I have a million things to say about, I'm sorry that they didn't listen to you. And I'm sorry that they didn't hear you when you know your body, you knew there were two babies in there mm -hmm. and they didn't discover that until at seven, I mean, that's just unbelievable to me, but seven months. Yeah, about seven and a half months. Yeah. So I'm sorry to hear a story. And we, as doulas, are fighting to advocate for our moms. But back then, did you, did you, had you ever heard of a doula? Did you think to have like a like someone besides, you know, your partner to be there? Um. No, no. I never knew what a doula was. You know, we hear stories about my grandmother, she delivered at home, you know, so you've never heard about somebody supporting you. You heard about your grandmother's mother being there to deliver the baby or, you know, all those. The real doulas. The, 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 yeah, the real doulas. <laughs> the real doulas. So it was always a, a thing of, um, well, this is what a woman has to go through when she starts bearing children. You, you kind of just deal with it. 
Nobody at that time was preparing you for the emotional things that you was going to go through. All the changes, all the physical changes, the emotional changes, the... I mean, when you compile that labor and pregnancy on top of a past, whether it's good or bad, mm-hmm. you're compounding a lot. Yep. It's a lot of stress there. Yep. Um, and most Black women, including myself, didn't have a very rosy past. So not only was I pregnant now, but I was also traumatized as a kid in, in different areas of life. Yep. So like sexual abuse, I've, I've been there, been raped, been there. So when it came down to that delivery, I was worried about my body image. I was worried about how I'm going to react to touch. I was worried about um, light or male doctor, female doctor. I was just, is someone going to take advantage? It's, I was just so concerned about the things that past history. I wasn't in protecting my kid. I would never let anybody hurt my kid again. Like, that, like I was hurt or I would, I would never let anybody, you know, my whole framework and my mind was different. If I had somebody there to talk to, I could have relieved some of that and been more, Yeah. you know. I'm going to interject right there because we're going to get to this, I guess, with you. But I want to say that with the clients that I've worked with over the 15 years that I've been a doula, that the trauma piece is like the biggest piece in my world, to birth outcomes. Yeah. I have plenty of moms that call me and say, I really want to have a natural childbirth. And then we start digging into it, and I find out that they have been getting raped, Mm -hmm. sexually abused, have big traumas. And one of the things as a doula that we have to teach and train is that childbirth is very difficult and it will gut you to your core. core. And all of your things come out. Yes. So of all the things that we talk about and we're going to talk about today with labor and delivery, one of the pieces I think that's hidden is what we bring to birth. birth. When those contractions start and you are forced inside yourself, you're going to face some things that you maybe didn't want to face. Yeah. And those are what, that's probably another whole topic for another day, (laughs) but birth outcomes related to past trauma and then that where that leads you. So you had so many things, you had trauma, you had a baby at home already Now you're pregnant again with a medical community that's not listening to you. Yeah. And then I'm sorry that your baby died. Yeah. Yeah, it was rough. It was was rough. And I don't don't want another mom to ever have to experience a healthcare profession. No, not listening to them, you know. I always look at them as they're practicing medicine and there's always a bedside manner. But sometimes you got to listen to who you're taking care of. They know their body way better than anybody. You know what I'm saying? I think in the, in the Black community, I had never had high blood pressure before, but I caught high blood pressure when I was pregnant. And all that stress, yeah. all that stress... And that was my third pregnancy with my other son. And I, I did, I got high blood pressure really bad. And then I started thinking, I'm just not doing this right. Everybody else has this lovely pregnancy and lovely, you know, they can be big and pregnant and, and eat what they want to eat. And here I am just so full of stress. My blood pressure is shooting out the roof. I'm getting headaches. And that's a, yes, fluid. And then they go across cesarean, you know, and... You don't be wanting that either, but then you understand on one end, though, this has to happen because your blood pressure. Doulas, we help alleviate some of that stress. Yeah. You can throw that weight on us. We hold that space. I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that. You know, you don't have people out there that that do that. 
So I'm like, where was doulas in 97? It wasn't in my neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> the first birth I attended was 2005. And I didn't, I'd never heard of a doula either, but I had a friend and she said, just come be with me. I need someone with me for this birth and can support me. And I walked out of that delivery room. I thought my whole world just changed. Mm-hmm. And my sister said, you were her doula. And I said, what? What is a doula? Oh. So this is going to help me transition to bring Maggie in. Because you told me when you were pregnant, you didn't know what a doula was. I didn't know what a doula was. But now here we are, two doulas. So how does that happen? Enter Maggie. Yeah, so... so um I didn't know what a doula was five years ago either. Um, So this work that embarked where Sisters Can for Sisters was born um, started about four and a half years ago with a grant through the Blue Cross Blue Shield Foundation and um, of North Carolina, Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina Foundation. And it was um, a grant that came out called the Community Centered Health Home. And it was based off a model that the Prevention Institute had come out with um, that really said there's factors outside of the healthcare system that are contributing um, to health inequities and health disparities. Um, And so at that time, um, I was working at Mayhack. um, And Mayhack OBGYN um, had applied for that grant. We had no idea what we were going to do with it. Um, It was one of the first times um, that we started thinking about like, hey, let's do this a little bit differently. And so when we first started doing this work, we had no idea that we were going to be focusing on black-white disparity, or I've learned recently where we really want to be calling it an inequity because disparity is, is just a difference where an inequity uh, inequity is preventable and unjust. Um, so that's one of the, the things in language that we're trying to, to shift a little bit. But when we um, started this grant, what we wanted to do was start building trust um, and relationship in community. How much um, money did you get from Blue Cross Blue Shield? So $125,000. Okay. And free autonomy to do whatever you want with the money? Or did yeah, they direct I mean, you I wouldn't say like free autonomy, but for the most part, yeah, it was, um, it was like, we don't know what to do. We want you guys to teach us how to do it and tell us, you know, what you're figuring out and, um, and how you do that. And the model really says that like, uh, the idea is that there's three things that you really have to be doing simultaneously to improve outcomes. And that's that you have to build community capacity. You have to make a clinical shift and you have to address the policy and the environment where people live, work and play. And so uh, what happened was that we had started two groups, um, one group, which was in Piscopio Apartments, which is a public housing neighborhood here in Nashville, North Carolina. In Asheville, public housing is is primarily occupied by Black people um, here in the city, which is due to um, historical trauma and institutional racism. A lot of that started in the in the 70s with urban renewal and just kind of continued to transfer on and on and on um, in this city. And, and Asheville today stands as, you know, the second most gentrified city in the United States. Our Black community has continued to lessen and lessen every year. We are seeing this as public health people and not really understanding, you know, all of the context. Um, we're also white women that are like, okay, we're gonna go try to build trust in a community with black women. Don't really know what that's gonna be like. So let me stop right Yeah. There. Does that mean everyone that was working on the grant was white? At that point, yes. At that point, okay. Yeah, which is pretty typical. Okay. Um, most of the times, us white folks love to write grants to go into black communities and fix them. That's that is literally the pattern that we have seen for so long. Amen. Um, <laughs> so it's it's um you know I laugh about it, but it's really messed up. That that is uh, what is done over and over and over again to black communities, and like no wonder why there's no trust. You, you know what? No wonder why 
uh, the black community doesn't trust the white community, doesn't trust the healthcare community. Like we, we just come in and we're like, oh, we're white. Like, like we're going to fix this. We know how to do it. But we don't know anything about you. We don't know what it's like to be a black person living in America. We don't understand what it's like to be disenfranchised and have everything taken away. But we know how to fix you. Yeah. So I'm going to interrupt right there. Yeah. So let's let's answer that question. <laughs> let's answer that question. So Cindy, you are a doula. Yeah. You are black. You are in this community. You know what it's like. Yes. So let's answer Maggie's question that she's putting out there. Yeah. What, what is it like for, we just heard your story, but also the stories of the women that you're serving right now through this program, which I guess we don't get to in a minute how you're doing that, but tell, <laughs> tell me about who they are, how they feel about healthcare, how they feel about hospitals, how they feel about their pregnancies. Hey, it's Heidi. I'm interrupting the podcast to let you know about a free resource that I've created for you at birthstory.com. All you have to do is go to birthstory.com and then click the tab that says the workbook. Once you put your email address in, an entire resource library of all of my secret sauces are available to you for free as my thank you for listening to the Birth Story podcast and being part of this community. At birthstory.com, under the workbook, you will find a birth plan template, articles on circumcision, delayed cord clamping, flipping a breech baby, packing your hospital bag, acupressure points, placenta encapsulation, and so much more. There are over 20 free articles ready for you to download at birthstory.com. Now let's get back to this amazing episode. Mm. Well, it's sad, but Maggie is is hitting the, um, the nail on the head. She's absolutely correct. And even now, it's there's no trust. There's no trust. I mean, if it wasn't for the fact that Maggie and the other ladies that did come to Biscuitview and actually genuinely wanted to build a relationship without no one knowing the background noise, without... Um, I mean, they would take their time, rain, sunshine, we would sit at a picnic table and they would genuinely hear us out instead of coming in saying, well, we're bringing this to the community. It was none of that. We came up with, they gave us the freedom to come up with ideas and freedom to empower you. They, they gave us the tools to actually empower ourselves because, um, Certain things that they knew about that was going on within the community didn't reach our community. So once they started saying, well, we have an invitation here. Would you guys like to show up? And we're like, okay, you know, getting something, some more information. And once we heard on top of each one of our doulas, all of us, we have um, adverse birth stories, something just unsupported. Um went to a conference and heard about the infant mortality rate here in Buncombe County. And it sent us into like a rage. We were so upset. We were so hurt because in our minds for years after we had our kids, I always thought that the government was trying to kill us. The healthcare system was trying to kill us. Um, why, why is there so much unfair treatment with black women versus white women? If this was a, I would say if, if I wasn't black, my son would still be here. If I wasn't black, I wouldn't have bled like I did on that table. They would have been there to take care of me. Things would have been explained differently, you know? I couldn't prove that for a fact. I couldn't say that for a fact. I just know how I felt. But now in, as a doula, I actually can see it. So I wasn't wrong. Now it's like, you're watching it in action, but why? Why would a healthcare provider get into a field where he cannot equitably treat every woman, child, person the same? Why would you take on the role of being in charge of someone's life when you can't do it equitably? So then I started thinking in another way of money talks. So we're pawns. Our bodies are pawns. Our kids are pawns. 
in a money exchange. I can't prove that, but that's it, what it's all seem like it's coming down to. On top of, we're black. We hold no value in the world, and it shouldn't be like that. And I feel like that's so injustice, so unjust. You know, our, our moms love our children just the same as any other mom. Our moms sacrifice for their children just like any other mom. Once you get pregnant, you can't go back. You know, I see them fighting for abortion rights and abortionists and abortionists. What do you think about a mom who's pregnant and loses her child? What about a mom who's pregnant and loses her life? That should be held on a higher pedestal than someone who's saying, I can't do this right now. Right. <laughs> what about the ones that's doing right. it right now? You can't fight for pro to be pro-life and to yes. save lives if you're not going to support those lives. Exactly. You're right. Which I think is also like, I mean, what you see a lot when there was like the contention over the women's march and it was like that this is a white women's march, right? Because a lot of that idea is like, especially as white liberals, oftentimes we, we have these ideas about, you know, how progressive we are and how we're doing all of this work for, for women's rights without looking at the intersectionality, how much privilege we actually have as white women versus the privilege that a black woman does not have the same as, right? And so that's like what we're seeing so much of, right? Is is that like we are <laughs> getting to this point where like not understanding that like literally just as much as like we're seeing like, you know, black people shot and killed, black babies are dying and black moms are dying because of the healthcare system. It's the same thing. Same thing. Yeah. It's so interesting that you say that. And and I'm going to say something I probably comment away, everyone. But how much privilege a white woman has who's straight, who's married to a white man. Mm -hmm. Whether we want to believe it or not, we get more power and more privilege when we marry a white man. Mm -hmm. mm. So I hear you. Yeah. So let's go back to how Maggie and Cindy are connected <laughs> to have helped you know what a doula is and to become a doula. I'm so looking at our women because life starts with us. You know what I'm saying? We, we birth children. We populate, you know? So, you know, they always say, which came first, chicken or the egg, you know? So we, we are an intricate part of society. Whether you black, white, green, purple, it doesn't matter. Why the inequitable treatment? I mean, we're in 2019. This is a whole nother generation. This is a whole nother. I mean, we're we're actually at a place where we should be having each other's back. We're supposed to be supporting each other, looking out for each other. Um, and to have a, a racism play such a big role in healthcare, mm -hmm. that's scary. That's scary and sad. It's hugely scary. So Maggie, as part of Mayhack and this grant and this yeah. initiative, yeah. like what do you see? You put doulas in place and you have been so creative and so novel in creating a system for change. But what were you seeing? What are you seeing? Yeah. Like you mentioned three pillars earlier. Yeah. So I want to first start by saying like the doulas are actually who chose the, the ladies that are the doulas now without any influence from us white people chose and said this is the solution that we have decided that we want. Oh yeah, we chose that. So when yes. you went into the community and you said, I have no agenda, yeah. let's talk. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For a year and a half. Yes, for a year and a for half. For a year and a half before we did anything. With, with no, this is the way we're going to do it. Yeah. It's how do you want to do it? What solution does this community need? Yes. Cindy and your peers said, we need women supporting women during their pregnancy, during their labor, during their delivery, and their postpartum care. Mm -hmm. We need a... What a black woman supporting a black woman through their health care. Yeah. In your community, how many black OBGYNs are there? I haven't seen any. Okay. I haven't seen any. That's it. And you know what? We have women asking for one all the time. 
we can't produce them. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. But they they love our support. I mean, I mean, they love our support. And we asked for, we hadn't seen black nurses either until mm-hmm. up to recently, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's a little change at a time, but it, it's... Um, so where did the term doula kind of surface? And when you're having these community conversations, someone must have known what a doula was. <laughs> oh, let me know. Okay. We had... We had um, Melissa Baker, one of our like dear friends, amazing woman, she invited Kama Wodak. And she got all of our, you know, she told us she was inviting Kama Wodak to the table. It was our first time um, actually sitting down with Kama. And so who was Kama? Tell yeah, everybody who Kama is. That's event, too. Yeah, we... That's where we We met, well, we met her at a spa day event we had for... Um, the picnic table, you know, we mm-hmm. decided to do a Mother's Day event for the women in, in Piscoville and make it a distressor, you know. And Kama came and she tabled one of the events where we had massages and acupuncture and food. And it was just relaxing candles. And um, she ended up coming to the picnic table. And we didn't know at the time that Kama was a doula. She had her own doula company. And um, what's the name of her company? Homegrown Babies. Homegrown Babies. And she's here out of Asheville. She's here out of Asheville. Okay. And she came to the to the table. After we mentioned all the things we really wanted to do after it was angry. She was like, oh, I have a skill I would like to teach you ladies if you would if you were willing to learn. And it was like, okay. What's the skill? You know, like, what's the skill? This is where I'm like screaming and jumping for joy. And she was like, doula. That was the first time we actually heard the word. Now, we was thinking support and this and that for women and black women, you know, health disparities, infants dying, you know. And when she said doula and explained what a doula was, it was like, oh, yes. Oh, yes. It's like, <laughs> oh, you have a fancy word for, for woman caregiver? Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. So we was all excited and we was like, eager to learn what, what this job entailed. So and that it's a job. Yeah, it's a job with a certification. You know, well, it's like I be certified in something that could actually benefit our community. Um, and we started the training in November 2016, and we were so excited. It was after we started learning it, we didn't want to stop learning, and we haven't stopped learning. Each, I mean, each year has been. So the training came from Kima and Homegrown Babies. And our grant. And the grant. I was going to say, I was like, someone had to pay for this. So this is where it comes in, right, is is that, so so we decided we wanted to do stuff and do things differently. And a lot of that came from understanding the historical context of how Black people in Asheville had been historically disenfranchised over and over again. And so so that's why we were like, okay, we're going to take a step back. We're not going to come with a solution. We want to first build a relationship. Um, We want to understand what's going on from a perspective of people that actually are living the experience that that we think we understand. And our healthcare providers that have been involved with us from the beginning can talk to that much better than I can of like this preconceived notion of like all the reasons that black women and black babies are dying without even thinking about the historical context of racism. And so when we talk, when Cindy's talking about like racism today, that's only a, like a product of hundreds of years of racism and slavery and Jim Crow, forced sterilization of black women up until recently. Black bodies have been like used and abused over and over again by white people. And if we didn't have that historical context, I think we wouldn't have been able to kind of take that step back. And so that's been a really important part of our work is having that historical knowledge. And so when the ladies had this thought of it, which they were like, this is what we want to do. Stress is what's one of the biggest factors that like we see. We want to give people a chance to just relax. We said, okay. And when they said, you know, we want this doula training, that's the whole idea, right? It was, all right, you, you have a solution. We have the money. We have the resources. Let's make it happen. Yeah. The doulas, Sisters Caring for Sisters was born and birthed through these ladies. And so so that's where 
kind of the story comes so creative innovative blessing (laughs) empowering thank you mayhack like thank you guys for for just not being another group of white people pushing your agenda on a community you don't know anything about like this is so revolutionary there are mayors and people that have blue cross blue shields and united health cares of the world that could hear this and say like this is something that's it can be replicated it can be modeled it can be shared across the whole across the world but across the country so where are we now so cindy tell me about sisters caring for sisters um, sisters Care for Sisters, um, we have really evolved in the past <laughs> several years. Um, when you were saying what you was just saying, it made me think that one of the other beautiful parts and pieces to this that um, I am so thankful, and I know the other ladies are really thankful for, is we're able to help bridge the gap and the trust within the community um, of women and the healthcare providers here at Mayhack. Um, a lot of the women we we um, support our patients of Mayhek or, you know, and so because we are working so closely with the healthcare providers and we're working so close with the community, we are able to kind of show the community, every healthcare provider isn't that bad. And every healthcare provider um, we can explain their roles yeah. and, and vice versa. And what happens if you come across a healthcare provider that needs some cultural or sensitivity training? Like if you, I've been at births where I didn't like what I saw, what went down. Um, neither one of what us. What happens? Neither one of us ladies are silent. Good. So, so this um, is giving you a platform yeah, we're, to we're, change. We're not silent. We're not silent when we're in the hospital settings. We're not silent. And, um, here with on campus at Mayhack. And one of the reasons why is because in order for this to be successful, you're going to have to have those hard conversations. You're going to have to, you're not going to agree all the time, but it's called respect. Respect that this is a whole different culture than you're dealing with. And the culture itself got to respect this is who has been um, kind of put in the place to be your healthcare provider. And if you don't like them, you can always request another one. Yep. You know, you don't have to be stuck right here. Yeah. I heard something that does give you more voice and more power. So Frank Castablanco, executive director of Mayhack, shared with me that because of the training from Kema and Homegrown Babies, through the training, through Dona International, which is a certifying body, that that the doulas here that are part of this program have been given a Mayhek badge oh, yes. to wear to the hospital. Yes. <laughs> and I'm thinking that has that comes with power. And we're also one of the doula programs, um, Sisters Camp for Sisters, and a lot of the doulas here are open to going to the operating room with our clients if it just so happened to be a cesarean. And, you know, that is amazing because our support doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. We're we're, we're there. We're we're considered staff, you know. You are staff. You're paid. Sydney's full-time benefits. This is unbelievable because that support should never end exactly just because the birth went from a vaginal delivery to a cesarean delivery your support system should be able to be trained to be by your side yeah for the whole entire process the whole process yeah okay pause we're wild (laughs) i'm just so excited i've got so many things Tell me about how you engage the community to know about now, a couple years later, that we have six doulas on staff. We're here to serve you. How does a woman who becomes pregnant today find you, get your services, and then walk me through your process, your doula, your doula process, your doula. What do you you do for these women for the the A to Z? Well, right now we have a lot of systems in place to get our our name out. Sisters Camp for Sisters is um, well known within 
fiscal year apartments. And one reason um, is because we also host a mother-to-mother um, program for women in the community with kids. And we meet once a month and we just talk about everyday life and get things off our chest. It's a, it's a group of women. I mean, they're amazing. I mean, they just open up about concerns, stressors, things going on in their life. Um, a lot of them have newborns or older kids. So we didn't stop our picnic table. It just evolved. Okay. And we get more that women. fellowship is just it's, growing. It's growing to know that we're supporting our women in all avenues. Um, we we are known here at Mayhag. We have a doula that works with the centering program. So she's with pregnant women all the time. Um, we do a lot of speaking events. Um, we have our Facebook um and a little platform. Um, we have partners. We have partners, yes. Yeah. <laughs> they love. We have partners. How, how many women, like, what's your capacity, like, per month? <laughs> like, how many women could you, could you, I mean, because you have to, I mean, to be a dual, you have to be on call. I mean, you have to not sleep in the night, yes. you know, women go into labor at night. Yes. You have to do prenatals. You have to build a relationship. I mean, so how, what's your capacity? Um... Right now we are we are really busy. Um, this year has turned into a really really busy year, <laughs> which is it's good for us. Um, we're having uh, one of our doulas. She's actually doing three to four births a month. Okay, well, which is that's a lot. That's a lot, and she's doula to doula. That's um, a lot. We have another one who's doing about the same. Um, Mine are more spaced out because I also do the marketing education. So I'm also in the process of getting my certification for teaching for my LCCE. So that takes a lot of studying. But my books are still full. (laughs) I'm doing like one to two words a month. Okay. So if I hired you today Mm -hmm. or I was calling you and saying, you know, um, I, I want you to be my doula. Like I... Tell me where to sign. I want to join your program at Mayhack. I want to be part of this. <laughs> then what happens? Whereas you want to be a doula or you want to be a client? A client. Well, first we will, we have a referral system set up now. Okay. So our women go through, um, who wants to do it from SC Forest, they have to meet certain criteria. Okay. Now, and one of the main criteria is being African American, being a woman of color. Okay. Um, it doesn't mean that we only serve women of color, but that's one of the criteria to actually you you take precedence okay. over everything else. Um, we also work with teen moms, you know, too. So, but once we do that, and then we assign, we have a doula call you mm-hmm. once we go through the criteria, your risk factors, things that's going on. Usually, a, a referring doctor okay. will refer you a healthcare physician, and then. Um, our director of operations will give you a call and tell you who your doula is. And then within a week, a couple of days, that doula will call you and set up a meeting so you guys can sit down and talk to see if you're a fit for each other. You may not be a fit for each other. We haven't had one that hasn't been, I don't think, you know. <laughs> um, but we see if you're a fit for each other. And if it clicks, then... She's your doula. And we doesn't we don't set it at like 31 weeks, 32 weeks. We take you from the moment you're ready for a doula. It could be 19 weeks. It can be 11, 12 weeks. When you feel like you need that support, you need that support. Who can put a time on that? Exactly. Who can put a month on that, a week on that? Yeah. I have had moms that have hired me like the second that they found out they were pregnant. A lot of moms that did IVF um, and had long fertility journeys and just knew that they needed that support from, you know, the moment they started. It's beautiful. beautiful. I believe that the longer gestation you have with your, with your doula, the better the outcome. I think so. You know, I really do because you get to spend so much more time with them, walking with them, you know, spending that time questions. I'm sure you get so many questions like, oh, I don't feel so happy today. What's going on? And you're able to say, well, what can we do to make you happy? What would you like to do today? I, I'm, I'm free for a couple hours. Where do you want to go? I'm going to go for a walk. You know? <laughs> and then it, that, just that little bit shows that somebody really does. And is listening. Do you go to the doctor's visits with your um, clients? Yes. 
Okay. And do you call them clients? Um, I call them clients. I call them moms. Okay. I call them by the name. Yeah. You know, I just didn't know. I was like, I call my clients, my clients, you know? Um, yeah. I call them I, sweetie. Depending on, you just know. wanted to make sure you didn't say patience. <laughs> no, 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 patience. Yeah. no patience. I hate no patience. patience. No. So, I always say, I'm like, if more hospitals would treat all women as customers or clients and not patients, you know, I'm like, we're usually when you're pregnant, it's, it's not a national emergency, you know, a little more customer service. I try not to even think of them as clients either because that sounds so business like. Because <laughs> this is, even though this is a business, you want it personal because mm-hmm. it is personal. You know, they, you're in that personal I like space. It. So I send these moms, they're my sisters. <laughs> our sisters. sisters care for sisters means sisters. We sisters, we got each other's yeah. back. That's what sisters oh, do. I you just know? We'll get the, the direct referral from a healthcare provider or from a partner within a community organization around us that are then saying that, but then there's also word of mouth. And so that's where that big clinical shift is, is that there are community-based doulas that are also within a healthcare clinic um, that are able to build that connection like Cindy was talking about earlier. And so... And this hearing you talk just brings me back to all those terms again. Yeah. Novel, innovative. I wish they, if you're listening, it should not just be covered with Medicaid as well, I think all over the board, every woman deserves a doula. Every woman should have a doula within childbearing age. It's yes. a must. It's a must. <laughs> I, I say that. I, I promote the midwiferies. I promote the doulas. I think those two combined, we're 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 really onto something. Yeah, something yeah. big. Yeah, I actually just had United Healthcare cover my services in full for so, all AT and T employees. So yes. um, I will give a big shout out on this podcast that I at least have one employer that is paying for doula services in full through commercial insurance. See what I mean? So that's amazing. There is change that yes. is it's brewing. It's coming. Yeah. You know that's why that's why we're here. Um, so I want to go back to if are you a hundred percent hospital based? What if one of your um mamas said, I feel the most comfortable birthing my child in my home? Or do is there a birthing center here? Yeah, we have a birthing center. So tell me about that. what are their options for delivering in this program? They have the option of the hospital or the birthing center. Okay. Yeah. And um let me just say this how traumatic some women are because of our healthcare system. We had a mom who actually delivered at home because she was a she um, was afraid to transfer to transfer to the hospital. So, you know, and that that goes to show how traumatic them hospitals can be for yeah. our community. Like she knew the baby was coming and yeah, yeah. was like, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. And then what happened when she didn't go to the hospital? When she did go to the hospital, they was ready to take her baby away. For no other reason other than delivering at home? Yes. Yeah, for anyone listening outside of um, North Carolina, home birth in North Carolina, for some reason, we could have a whole podcast on this, is illegal. So I'm assuming that this happens quite often when you have an, let's call it an accidental home birth. <laughs> you know? I have also had clients that had accidental, accidental. home births. Um, in precipitous labor, you know, I've had, uh, but then had a load of paperwork. So even they call 911, the ambulance comes, the baby's already here and they get to the hospital and they are immediately like trying to enjoy and embrace the beauty of life that just occurred. And all that's happening is judgment, anger. You could have, uh, I couldn't, I can't help that my water broke and I had the urge to push. I'm 45 minutes away from the hospital in traffic. Mm-hmm. Thank you, healthcare community, for your judgment. Mm-hmm. You know, but I'm here now. So anyway, no, lots of tangents. <laughs> I could just, you know, um, go on. So let's talk about actual like labor and delivery. So you've done the prenatal care, you've built the relationship, and then your mama calls and says, I think it's time to go. It's time. Do you labor with them at home? If that's what they want, is we leave that totally up to them. We ask them to call us. Um, 
Don't text. You can text any other time except when you think that you're in labor. Um, if they are uncertain, we make sure we say, well, why don't you call your healthcare provider? See what they say. Call me back and, yeah. you know, let me know what's going on. I can come over, labor with you, um, walk with you, whatever. Um, usually if it's time to go, then I'll be like, meet you at the hospital, you know. Yeah. And we get there. I usually get there while they're still in the OBR. Pause for a minute. You, we have spoken that this community many times is low income. Mm-hmm. Is transportation to the hospital an issue? Um, as well as we're not allowed to provide transportation, um, which would be amazing if we did, <laughs> but we don't. So usually. Um, they will have somebody bring them over. Okay. Yeah. Is Mayhack allowed to provide money for Uber or Lyft or, you know, something if transportation were an issue? We're not there yet. Okay. We're working on it. See where I'm getting at, though? Yeah. It's illegal to birth your baby at home, but yet we don't help moms get to the hospital with transportation. Yeah. Okay. That's just yeah. one nugget. That's nugget. There's a hundred nuggets. You know, or a thousand nuggets. Yeah. Okay. So you get to the hospital one way or the other, but you have to meet them there since you can't provide transportation. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you've got your badge. Get your that's badge. like, boom, <laughs> Mayhek, doula, donor certified, homegrown babies trained. In my purple scrubs. You wear your purple, purple scrubs. scrubs. That has sisters, camp for sisters on one side, Mayhek, OB specialist yes. on the other side. Yes. Um, and my doula bag. All my little necessities. I have my massage oils, my essential oil spray bottle. But we got the beauty of our moms get to wear whatever they want to labor in. Oh, so they don't have to wear the hospital gown? You know, they don't get told that unless we tell them. Advocate. See? Yeah. You have to have someone advocating for you. They don't know that, you know, our hospital have a certain amount of wireless monitors. There's some don't know to ask for wireless monitors so they can move in and not gonna offer them to you. Yeah, or intermittent monitoring, mm-hmm. you know, rather than continuous monitoring. So we come in handy, we know. So navigate. you're massaging, you're laboring. Do many of your moms prefer a natural childbirth or an unmedicated epidural birth? Do they have a strong opinion either way? Um, a lot of the moms once they realize that they do a pass some tricks in the bag and mm-hmm. kind of coaching through certain things that you're going to do you, you're willing to do to yeah. help alleviate some of the pain the pressure counting through it actually showing them what telling them and showing them what their body's doing they'd be more apt to want to try it without any interventions Good. um but we always let it be known. We don't judge you. We don't. Yeah. It's just your birth. However, you want to labor, we can work with you. Yeah. If you get that epidural, we can still labor in that bed. You and, good. And right there, what you just said, they're getting a voice in their ear that they're not getting anywhere else that says, this is your birth. This is your body. Yes. You have choices. You have control. What do you want? Yes. So going through the labor and the delivery and getting to know this. And you, we've already mentioned in your community that we just don't have any black OBGYNs. What do you want to share with the medical community across the country? Like if you are a white OBGYN right now and you're thinking, I don't want any of anyone to feel I'm not doing this on purpose. I don't, I don't want to make the black women that I serve feel like they are not heard, which is the biggest issue here with institutional or structural racism is black women voicing and then being shut down and not heard. So what advice can you give from this community, from your experiences to white OBGYNs across the country? I would definitely say they need to we would really appreciate if they stop judging a book by its cover because it's deeper than that. Um, I would like for our healthcare community to find that place of empathy. You know, if you can't, for some reason, see past color, then try to imagine that being your mother or your sister or your aunt in that bed 
or even your grandmother. Because at one point in time, you wouldn't be here without going through this same process. And you know things about the body. And you know how the body works because that's what you go to school for. Transfer some of your studied, your, your education into humanity. It's the humane thing to do. You know what I'm saying? I see more people take care of their animals, better care of their animals than black women. That's hurtful. And that's coming from a black woman. That's that's just real. We're no different. We're no different. We love our children. I don't care what lot in life we've had, how much finances we have, how 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 dark our skin color is. It does not matter. So I think they need to, to just take a step back. Let's take a step back and look, look. It's no difference. Only thing you're seeing is skin color. Start looking at us as people, as women, as women, equitable women. We deserve it. We deserve it. Yep. Thank you for sharing. Thank you guys for saying yes to this conversation and for teaching me and for sharing your story. And as we kick off the week this week for Black Maternal Health Awareness, you know, I just really appreciate you being here. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like. 